0: And the first person's up there, and I look through like the little like circle um, cut out of the door, and I see that he's wrapping up, and it's this white guy with a red beanie on and complete blackface. Whoa. Oh doing um do you remember Dave Chappelle's Tyrone Biggums?
1: Yeah. And now this was back in 1883.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> yeah, oh, my. it was a vaudeville traveling vaudeville show. <laughs>
1: Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making it in this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and today's guest is an accomplished stand-up comedian who has been on NCIS, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and more. He also has a podcast called A Juma Show. It's two queer Korean comics screaming about everything. What's not to love? Welcome to the show, Peter Kim.
0: Hello, hello. Hi. Hi hi it's good to see you good to see you this beautiful sunday morning
1: yeah it's lovely we're lucky got beautiful weather sunshine coming in
0: yeah man we both have cute apartments we're great yeah (laughs) we're doing great we're fine we're fine (laughs) (laughs) no but are you fine you're doing good yeah yeah i'm doing good i might go to the park and do some mushrooms today I'm just looking for some new new perspective.
1: I feel like a perspective shift is always good especially for someone who has a focus on pursuing stand up.
0: Yeah, you're right. Stand up's completely changed and um I just I do need some new perspective on what the fuck that's going to be. Are we cursing on this is this family friendly? Uh, we are now. I okay, guess. great. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me setting trends again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, with I guess the current state we can get into it have you like with stand-up especially like no one's of course doing comedy live comedy but have you thought of like doing like instagram live stand-up or anything like that or trying to get any comedy out there
0: i have done some ig and zoom shows mostly zoom and uh i'll tell you what it's it's not fun Mm-hmm. it's um you're especially ig because you you're it, you're just doing a live with someone else so you're seeing like little hearts flutter and like comments but you know it, it just feels weird it's there's nothing really like stand-up comedy or live performance as you know there's nothing that like beats that for a performer yeah. so to be to try to do like a digital facsimile it, it just feels like sad <laughs> and we're holding on to like some remnants of I don't know. What are we even doing this
1: for? <laughs> I gotta assume on, on IG Live when you see the hearts and comics, it's almost the equivalent of like you doing a live show, but the audience isn't laughing out loud, they're just giving you thumbs ups.
0: Yeah, or like smiling. Nodding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I and I hate that.
1: Yeah. Cause so much of the feel of doing a show, doing a stand-up show, is comes from hearing the laughter and not hearing the laughter. Like both yes. can kind of set the tone and either ramp up your energy but when you right. when you can't hear the laughter at all you're like oh god
0: do you like this do i like this do i like me <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: it, it really forces you inside yourself in a very dark way
0: yeah it's been dark and i keep saying yes to these shows because you know i'm desperate for attention And even if I'm getting attention from, like, my fellow comics, I feel good if I'm, like, getting laughs from them. But most of the shows, it runs like this. You get on a Zoom, much like we're on now, and there's, like, six or seven comics, and the host is like, okay, this is the running order. We're going to be streaming live on Twitch. We have, like, 100 people watching, which is great. I love, like, to play to 100 people. I never did that when I was, (laughs) you know, pre-core anyway. But these hundred people, you don't hear them laughing. So you might as, it's like one of those, like if a tree falls in the woods type situation, like if no one's laughing, but there are a hundred people there, am I doing comedy?
1: That might as well say like, we have 10 billion people. Trust me. They're all watching. Yeah. It's like, okay. Every
0: time I do a zoom comedy show, I'm like, is this a twilight zone episode? Like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? Why am I doing this? But I do it because I'm like, you know as you know being in hollywood being an actor or whatever we're like bred to always like quote stay relevant and you know half of it is like me trying out new jokes which is great like i take every every set i do i try new jokes so at least it's like hey i did something for i don't know for what reason i i still have this idea that like after everything kind of like quote comes back together that i'll have i'll be ahead of everyone else <laughs> i don't know
1: man <laughs> You're going to go out when the world hopefully is back to normal. You're going to do your set. It's going to bomb. You're like, but 100 people, (laughs) I thought they liked that tag. You have no feedback, but I get you. It is, we are trained to keep like, well, you're exercising the muscle. So there's the positive of that, of just like still performing, you know, even if it's this weird way of like, I'm going to say stuff, I'm going to get stuff out there. But there's like without the feedback, that's the other side. And so you're kind of like, In your heart, I'm sure you leave these Zoom shows being like, I do feel like if the audience was able to laugh out loud and not on mute, they would have liked that joke.
0: Yeah, you're like extrapolating how
1: well it could have done. (laughs) It's bad. It's really bad. Now, I guess I don't really know this about you, but what made you kind of start with stand-up or go into stand-up?
0: Well, I was in, let me see where I was Like San Francisco in 2009 and um i had moved there from new york because i had a job with yahoo i was in tech and i was just kind of doing that like nouveau riche tech guy thing i was getting paid like 100 grand a year plus bonuses and equity and all that kind of crap i was just like sitting on tons of cash And I know that sounds like just a brag, but I was very unhappy because I was also like deeply in the closet. And I moved to San Francisco because I was like, I need to get away from everyone I know. And I just want to come out somewhere safe, somewhere where like no one's going to blink an eye. And I did. And I did. And I came out at an open mic, actually. Oh, wow. Because I was going to these mics and they were like uh, I was going to a stand up class, actually. Because I was so sad. I went to a stand-up show and it, I made, it made me laugh so much. And, I, you know, I'm su- such a huge stand-up fan since I was young. I grew up in New York City and all my friends would get, like, fake IDs, all the boys, and they would go clubbing. And I was just like a, a kind of a chubby, nerdy kid. So I was like a closeted nerdy kid. So I was like, oh, I don't wanna go clubbing and grind up on these girls. <laughs> so I, I went down to Greenwich Village with my two girlfriends and we would go to the comedy cellar and order two Diet Cokes and sit there for the entire night for like all three shows in the night. The waitresses loved us because, you know, we would laugh really loud and be in the back. And we were just like little high school student you know, fans.
1: You went comedy clubbing. And,
0: I, yeah exactly <laughs> no grinding necessary <laughs> no um but i afterwards i went to college and i never like thought i could do it fast forward to san francisco when i'm working and i'm like deeply in the closet and i'm like something's got to give and i go to this comedy show and they're like hey we teach classes why don't you come take classes so my friend and i were like let's go monday show up 7 30 what else we got going on and he was like okay and come monday he didn't show up and i did And I was so angry, he's like, I can't do it, I'm nervous. And I stayed like angry as fuck and that helped me write jokes because like that's where my comedy comes from is rage. The second time I went up, I was at a bar deep in the Sunset District, this kind of like sleepy ass district. And I came out, I was like, so I'm gay. And I was like setting up my joke. And I saw like there were like six or seven other comics in the bar just Waiting for it to go up, and I said it out loud, and they were all like, "Okay, what else do you have?" And I felt like so good and so liberated, like, "Oh, no one fucking cares!" Like, I it, it was such a huge deal in my head, and when I finally said it out loud, everyone was like, "Okay, where's the punchline, sis? What's going on?" And then, then after that, I was just addicted. So I started with stand up comedy, then and then I fell into like the improv thing went to Chicago, did the whole like sketch improv bonanza. And then, but the whole time I was doing stand up because I, I always knew like I liked improv and sketch because it felt safe and you can make a lot of friends that way. But really, I didn't want to share the stage with anyone. And I knew that. And that was evident in
1: how I improvised. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, most of, uh, I feel like your improv style can be summed up as one man show. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <That's> exactly it. <laughs> Solo dolo <laughs> Well, it's it's really interesting Because I didn't realize that I mean, what a cool combination of like Doing stand-up, but also stand-up being the moment you come out It normalized it It was like, mm-hmm. oh, it's part of my setup It's part of my identity It helps me, you know, get these jokes across And it's amazing because stand-up Which usually would make people nervous very quickly became a safe haven for you.
0: Yeah. Where you it would
1: be like it helped find your voice.
0: Absolutely it. I was I, yeah, I think you know even as I started comedy, everyone talks about that like come if you got to find your voice. What's your voice? You know like you hear that a lot. And I didn't realize I even had a voice before stand up. Because you know, I grew up Korean, I grew up with immigrants and you know, evangelical and all that. So you're told like if you have a voice, you know, maybe quiet it down a little bit, <laughs> you know, like maybe not be so loud, maybe not stick out. And stand-up's all about like individual voice and individual opinions and, you know, uh, takes and shit like that. So like, yeah, it gave, it
1: gave me the license to have a voice for sure. Mm-hmm. So you started doing stand-up. Is there, when, cause of course starting out, it's like, I feel like no one's good. Like when was the uh, moment when you were uh, like, When you're like, okay, I'm good at this. I'm not just somebody testing the waters. I'm not someone who's like, tried it, not for me, but you were like, This is for me. This is like something I excel at.
0: I have to do. Definitely not my first set. I it was my first set was really bad. And I was still like very straight. So I was like saying shit that I thought would get laughs instead of like what I thought was funny and it was like really awful jokes about like how I get drunk on different types of alcohol it was like it was so bad and like once I get famous I just want to get famous enough one day where I could like play that as a clip for someone and be like look at how fucking dumb I was but I've forgiven myself uh but quickly after that I think when I got my first laugh I was like oh this is it I'm I'm cooked." yeah yeah. And I think it's also a sense of, you know, probably, you know, obviously you're, you're a comedian as well. Like all comedians have like issues with control and that was a, a, a huge way. I felt like powerful and, mm-hmm. and, and with control, you know, and that was something that unfortunately I like kind of hinged that on comedy a lot. Mm-hmm. I've grown a lot since 2009 um, but in my early days, you know, that's all that was feeding me it was like, get the laugh,
1: make them laugh, <laughs> <laughs> squeeze joy <laughs> out of them. <love. laughs> there's so much truth to that. Of, I think there's people who test stand up, do it, and the like nerves and the like, flop sweat and the like fear of doing it still outweighs getting the laugh. And there's people that. I could just make it the worst scenario. And if I get a hint of a laugh, yeah, I'm in, that's my, that's my adrenaline rush. Like, like I'm with you. Like the second you hear that laugh, it's the thing where I go when people are like, I could never do it. I don't get how you do it. I go, well, you don't, you don't get the same reaction. I do when I hear a laugh.
0: Exactly. We're, you were just wired differently. And people say that all the time. They're like, Oh my God, comedy. You're so brave. I'm like, no, this isn't courage at all. This, <laughs> this is absolute cowardice
1: yeah this is this is a person deep in the disease of being addicted to other people's
0: validation (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) these are cries for help
0: it truly (laughs) is yeah it's there's a lot of self-worth issues happening because you know so much of especially like your identity in hollywood like who are you what do you do like we have all these labels people always try to label us writer comedian actor slash slash hyphenate whatever and i always took some sort of solace around being a stand-up comic because once again i had control over that i can do it whenever i wanted i could hop over to a mic throw some jokes out try it you know and luckily, like if I was producing my own shows, I would just like book myself on a thing or like ask my friends to book me. So it was relatively easy to create a identity of comic, um, which arguably in LA is way harder than it is Chicago. But, you know, I was doing it. And even if I complained and I felt shitty about it, I was like, well, I'm doing it. What else? You know, like it felt like, there was some kind of worth in, like, the putting in the time, putting in the hours and grinding it out. But, oh, boy, really have to, like, face reality with, like, okay, I'm not auditioning. I'm not writing anything to sell. No, nothing's happening. I'm not telling jokes. I am telling jokes, but I'm not getting laughs. So what am I? Am I just amateur sourdough maker now? <laughs> just, uh... <laughs> I'm just growing scallions, guy now. Like, what the fuck is the identity? That's who
1: we all are now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, with stand up, do you have a maybe daily or set process of joke creation? Or, like, are you someone who's like, I need to write every day, I need to do something? Or are you kind of like, when the jokes come to me, I jot them down?
0: It's more the latter. I have a very, I have very bad discipline when it comes to writing. I have to write in binges, and which is why I, l- I like having a show to, to be responsible for because then I know I have to come up with jokes. Mm-hmm. But I guess like I tweet every day, and that's like three quarters of a joke. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what is your? Because everyone has it. Do you have a sh- uh, like a horror story show where you just like got (laughs) up there and we're like, Oh man, you heard the inner monologue questioning everything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have so many. Okay. So I'll tell you one from like early on. So in Chicago, I, I got this gig headlining in Peoria, Illinois, which is possibly the worst place in the world. And it is, I think it's, like, close to where, like, the KKK started. It's just, like, really, like, a horrible place. And um, they were like, hey, uh, why don't you come down and um, you could bring your own whatever feature. So my feature was driving me down there. And I, we get there late because we're stuck on traffic. But, like, I'm headlining. So, like, uh, there's a host, there's a first person, whatever. So we get there. And the first person's up there. And I look through, like, the little, like, circle. Um, cut out of the door. And I see that he's wrapping up and it's this white guy with a red beanie on and complete blackface.
1: Whoa. Doing,
0: doing, um, do you remember Dave Chappelle's Tyrone Biggums?
1: Yeah. And now this was back in 1883. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was a Vaudeville, traveling Vaudeville (laughs) show. It was, yeah, it was fully 2014 and he was doing I guess, quote, to his credit, he was doing Dave Chappelle doing Tyrone Biggums, not just doing blackface.
1: See, I would I would say I dislike that because it's not even original. I know. Oh, yeah, you're <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, have a take. So he's just doing a Chappelle character. He was
0: just doing Chappelle. I know. And I walk in and the crowd is losing it. They're laughing. <gasps> yeah, they're they're not even like they're not even there's no gasps there's no like i don't like this everyone's like yeah we love it tyro big (laughs) scratch yourself it's just it was so horrific i remember like going up and thinking like oh my god they're gonna hate all my jokes about being fat and gay and korean (laughs) and they did and it was it was absolutely awful and i was i had to do 40 minutes and i remember thinking like It was one of the first times I was headlining, too, and it felt so bad. And now, in retrospect, I think about it and I'm like, oh, as a comic that has done more, like, a thousand more shows since then, or more than a thousand, but, like, a lot, the reason why I was doing bad wasn't because of them. It was because of my expectations of them Mm. or how I drew them up to be this gigantic kind of, like, uh, uh, adversary. Mm -hmm. You know, but they weren't thinking of me in that way at all. You know what I mean? So, like, that's something that you learn is that, like, the audience is never against you. Even the most, like, fucked up audiences, they're not there so that you can have a bad time. They're there to have a good time. It's just not the good time you thought it was going to be. And then when you start bombing, you start, like, turning on them. And then... uh, and then I started, like, going after this, like, older white couple in the audience and using them as, like, a proxy for how I felt about this, like, blatant racism in Peoria. And it was just, like, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> I had no business doing any of that.
1: Yeah, there's, there's something uh, profound kind of, of when you realize, like, the audience, pay, they want to just have a good time. They're just happy that you can get them there. And it's almost understandable that if you don't that they're a little upset like it's so quick as a comic to be like come on I'm funny laugh like or if yeah. something's wrong with all of you guys and you go hey no like we're just not lining up like my sense of humor is not working for you guys that's quite all right I feel like yeah. in those moments you learn to just be like you know what I'm going to do my set maybe some of you will enjoy it but I'm not here to call you out for not enjoying it <laughs> like I'm just yeah you can at least leave the night being like, Oh, okay. That was nice. Maybe not the funniest thing you've seen. I can't do a Tyrone Biggins, you know, like you just have limitations.
0: <laughs> I'm just not your cup of tea. Yeah. <clears throat> That's something you learn, though. You learn that it's not personal. And then when they don't like us, they're like, ah, they hate me. It's very ego driven. It's, it's, it's really disgusting is what it is. But We can't help it. That's just how we're wired, you know? But as you get older and you get better as a comic, you start, it's more about like every show feeling less important. You want to be present and you want to be there giving people the best time and a very real time with them and you don't want to phone it in. But you also don't want to put the experience on a pedestal so that you ruin it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And after doing so many, especially doing shows with Second City, night after night after night, Um, sometimes two three shows a night you realize that like every audience is different every audience comes in and creates its own and you know this from groundlings like you could do be doing the same exact thing in the same exact way but it's just something about that crowd that day that hour just is quieter or like the energy in there is more polite than it is raucous or whatever it is you know so like you start understanding that it's not about you. It's about the situation and how you adapt to the situation. And that makes you more like, it's more of a, like I'm guessing the way an athlete looks at their
1: thing, Mm -hmm.
0: as opposed to like my art, you know, (laughs) like it's less that comedy is less art and it's more sports.
1: Yes. Very true. And with, with standup, do you have any jokes or a few jokes that when you wrote them and you perform them, you kind of, you were like, this is my comedy this is like quintessential peter kim
0: yeah like which when what was the joke that made me think like oh this is my voice yes (laughs) um actually i do i remember in chicago i was doing a set and i i I kept like people kept saying like you got to close with like a fucking huge closer you got to close and i remember thinking that i was like oh man i really need a good closer what's my closer what's my closer and i when i Wrote my first closer was when I was like, okay, this is me. Mm. Um, I won't do the joke now, but it has something to do with being a C-section baby and how uh, that's how I knew uh, I was gay even before I was born. (laughs) Because I, 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 like once I saw the inside of my mom, like my mom's vagina, I started like turning myself around (laughs) 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 and twisting the belly cord around my
1: neck. I don't want to be near one of these ever again. Honey, that's not it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You're going to have to cut me out of this one. Yeah, I'm going out uh, a different way. Yeah, yeah. So when I when I wrote that joke, I was like, oh, this is so fun. It's exactly how I, I like to hyperbolize my experience. And I like to do it in a way where, you know, it, it's, I don't think of it as irreverent, but I think a lot of Korean immigrants would be like shocked by the way I, my takes on things because I'm less reverent towards like, I don't know, like in Korean culture, calling, uh, talking about your mom's vagina would never fly. They I would be like banned, mm-hmm. but being a Korean American, I'm able to like have this American sensibility of saying like, quote, like wild things. You know, that like I could never say in Korea,
1: mm-hmm. which is perfect because you mentioned how, you know, growing up with immigrant parents and sort of like be a little quieter, more conservative. And like, like then that joke encapsulates like you coming out your family unit, like all these things at once of being like, oh, wow, like I get to finally say these things.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I was always the good kid. I, I was never the troublemaker. I had cousins who were troublemakers who would always get grounded. There were kids like joining gangs when they were like 13. I was always the kid who was getting like straight A's and making sure like, uh, you know, I didn't stand out, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like in high school, like, I don't want to live like this. I'm not this person. Yeah. I'm not this person that doesn't want to stand out and be quiet. I like, and it wasn't until like I finally came out and into my adulthood and started doing comedy where I was like, "Oh, that is my voice," and I've been suppressing it this entire time.
1: Yeah, I feel like I, I was a good kid. I was a, the type of kid who, whenever I did get in trouble, I would tell my parents and then I would give myself the punishment. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs>
0: that's so funny how endearing for like a kid to punish himself yeah
1: one thing i've been asking people because i find it interesting by pursuing acting and stand-up and comedy and all these things one of the potential byproducts is becoming famous rich and famous is that something that you i i literally never thought of that you never thought about it (laughs) No, yeah.
0: What's your question? That Do I think about it? Do you it?
1: think about it and where do you place it, I guess, in your <clears throat> definition of success or your personal goals?
0: Let's see. Um, fame, I don't really think about at, at all. Um, I do think about the end result of fame a lot, which is power. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just something that I'm, I don't want to generalize it, but I feel like every stand-up is looking for Power or control. That's why we do what we do. I I want to feel powerful because I think I think power will bring me freedom. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, and I've done this exercise recently. Like fame, do I want fame? Mm, What's the result of fame? Power. Power. What's the result of power? Freedom. What's the result of freedom? Freedom. Just being left the fuck alone. I don't want anyone bothering me. I want so much power. I want like Oprah level where it's like, you can't even get onto the compound. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I grew up in New York city on top of each other, like in tiny apartments with all my cousins, like in the same thing. And I think because of that, I, I dream of like wide open space and land. And there's something to that where I'm like, I just don't want you to bother me. And whatever that takes, I just want to get there.
1: I love it. Because so your thing is autonomy and space and it's Mm -hmm. all your schedule is yours. But yet in your life, you grew up in New York, went to San Francisco, went to Chicago, went to Los Angeles, very crowded cities everywhere. And I
0: came from the most crowded and then I started going smaller and smaller, not smaller, but like more expansive.
1: And eventually we're going to get you to Wyoming. We're going to get you Jackson Hole, baby. (laughs) (laughs) To that open space. (laughs)
0: Oh, <laughs> when I hear about celebrities who have like, I don't know, avocado farms, I would love that fucking life. Truly. I know, like, who am I? Why would I ever have a farm? But like one day that's that's the only reason I want to get famous. I don't I really don't like being approached in public. Mm. I don't like people um, asking to take pictures with me. It never happens. But when <laughs> <laughs> I think about it. <laughs> no, it has happened like, you know, a handful of times when I'm like doing clubs on the weekends when I go down to San-, San Diego and I have an especially good show. People will be like, can we take a picture with you and blah, blah, you know, like because mm-hmm. they want to show that they went out and saw a comedian, you know, it's for them, really. Sure. But I there's something about stand up that, again, it's about like control. Uh, There's a wall between us, even though it is I am breaking the wall and I am being vulnerable and talking about myself and blah, blah. It's not a conversation. I provide you with information and jokes. You provide me with laughs and applause so that I can do more. And when that barrier is breached and people like come up to me, I already know how I'm going to react when I am rich and famous. Like I'm going to be mean. I know it. I'm going to be one of these people that like TMZ hates because I'm like punching the camera and shit. You know, like <laughs> I can tell.
1: Oh man. I, so you are like, I want to do stand up. I want to get well enough. Like I want to become known and famous and rich so I can hide. So I yeah. can be secluded. Like you don't like, you could go to Jackson Hole now. You could get a farm now, but you're like, I don't actually want a farm no
0: i, I want to hire farmers <laughs> i
1: want to just own the land and just hang out and yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> i just want to be autonomous
1: i can't wait i i can picture it i love it i want you and i can tell you will be famous and if nothing else just so i can see all those clips of you on tv like peter kim again snubs the kid like some kid's gonna <laughs> run up to like, like i'm your big fan you just shove his face away and go, I'm, I'm walking here. I don't want to.
0: Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think TMZ would like love to hate you. You'd be, you'd be. Oh, yeah. Their number one. Public Thing would be number one. Chase you down just so you could shoo them away.
0: Yeah, I would like set up like bear traps and shit. Because the, the whole uh, – for me, uh, once again, like celebrity fame is not the end product. The end product is the freedom and autonomy that comes from it. So to be Kardashian-level famous is – is, is it, it's moot for me because now I'm trapped. I'm a fucking prisoner. Mm-hmm. You know, isn't it funny how like there are celebrities who just are left alone and celebrities that cannot be left alone? And they, I want to be in that category where people just leave them alone. They respect them, you know? Yeah. Like I'm not that hot. So no one's going to want to see my bulge in gray sweatpants. So great. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'm not that interesting that like uh, you, me like eating a salad with my hand is going to be like (gasps) big news. You know what I mean? So like, I just want to be that level where they're like, Oh, okay. There he is. But they're not coming after me. Like they're not standing outside of my gates, like, waiting to get one shot so they could get paid $65 by New York Post or some shit.
1: Yeah. It is interesting how I don't even know what that is, where some people can't get people away from them and other people are like, no one cares. It's like, oh, that's just a well-known actor. They do a good job. And other people, they're like, yeah, we have to get all these photos of this person. Is Do you think it's
0: higher the profile? Is, is that or the, is it... Like the more
1: we feel like we can sexualize. I would go the latter on that because I mean like no one's hounding Meryl Streep. Like and she's Right.
0: And like, she's like a level mistress.
1: Yeah, people will like get photos of her and you know, they like her. I think it's more we're more obsessed with a uh, scandal or someone who's like on the edge of losing it. Like We love putting someone on a pedestal just so we can knock them down. Yes. Yes. Daniel, that's exactly it. And I think that's the
0: sense of like mob power that you have or Mm -hmm. like Twitter troll power you have. Because I experienced a little bit of this um, in Second City where, I don't know, it's it's really stupid, but in Chicago – if you're on the main stages of Second City, you're kind of a celebrity, I guess, in the comedy world, at least. You're like kind of at the top of your game. Mm-hmm. And um, this one guy was going around and I had no idea who he was. He was a comic and he would go around and when Facebook was big, like, like spreading all this like nasty rumors about me. So I was like, what the fuck is going on? So I, I found him on Facebook. I don't even remember his name, to be honest. And I messaged him saying, hey, do we know each other? Did I do something to you? What's going on? He was like, no, we've never met. And I was like, then why are you doing this? Why are you going around like fucking with me like this? And he was like, what? You're a celebrity now. So you deserve to be taken down a notch. Wow. Yeah. And it was really scary. And I would have
1: been like, oh my God, I'm a celebrity.
0: (laughs) That's actually, that's actually a joke I wrote on Facebook. (laughs)
1: Well, speaking of putting people on pedestals and taking them down, and Peter, it's the time of the show when I <laughs> yes. when I invite my friend, uh, famed insult comic Raz Clifford. Hell yeah! <laughs> he likes to come on and just take these guests down a peg before they think they're too famous. So we're gonna we're gonna have him come out, and he's gonna give you a little little roast, little ras. So uh, Raz Clifford, come on out! Oh, hello, folks! Oh, goody! We're talking to Peter Kim, the man that thinks being loud is a personality. <laughs> yes. I hate to break it to you, but it ain't. <laughs> Peter Kim should be named Kim Peters because he has the unearned confidence of an angry white lady. <laughs> now, Peter is a gay Korean stand up comedian. You know, the things no one is asking for. <laughs> Now, Peter could have been in Crazy Rich Asians, but he's only crazy in Asians, so he was close. But two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, Peter. I had to do it. I had to razz you. <laughs> Thanks, man. I love it. What an honor. <laughs> it is. It's always an honor to you know get razzed by the best. Okay, take care. Please, if you ever see me, do not talk to me. I will be on my farm avoiding people because this is what <laughs> real fame looks like. <laughs> all, right. all right see you later rest Oh, Yo, he was good thanks. he really he really cut to the core <laughs> he see <gets> it. <you. laughs> now jumping right back into it if not acting if not stand up which is of course what you are doing and you're great at what do you think you'd be doing i'd be a chef chef okay
0: chef slash restaurateur mm-hmm. that's something that i do like a creative thing that I do that I don't need anyone, um, anyone to. Res- uh, that's not true. I I like feeding people, but it's something that I do for myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Like it's an outlet where you know how some people are like they could play music, but they only do it for themselves. They are not trying to like get on stage and do it. It's just their like creative outlet. That's how I think of like cooking.
1: Mm-hmm. What would your restaurant be? What would uh? What's the cuisine? Cuisine and vibe. Would it be like very very high end? Would it be just like.
0: No, I, I don't think I could live up to a high end. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, I would love to show technique in my dishes. I want kind of like your imagine like a, a place that's like on campus at your school that's been there forever. And it's kitschy and it's homemade. Uh, But the food's always good. There's always a line out the door. People always bring like if someone's visiting, they're like, oh, you got to go here. Mm-hmm. This is the place we're going to take mom to when they visit because it's like the place to go i think my first restaurant will be something along the lines of like like korean inspired but i, I don't want to say fusion because i hate that word but <laughs> yeah something along the lines of like korean inspired dishes
1: yeah i could yeah and there's no reason that both can't happen oh
0: that's the dream yeah but daniel one day when uh my third netflix special comes out I'll I'll be opening a, a small little humble, you
1: know, 40-seater. Great. I yeah. love it. Have you ever thought about the moment you're a guest on a late night talk show and, like, the story you would tell?
0: Um, I haven't thought about that, actually. But I have so many stories to tell. How many of them are uh, okay
1: for late night? Not much. But – but this isn't technically late night. So you tell, tell one of the ones you might not be able to tell on late night. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Well, <clears throat> the first time I ever had sexual intercourse was in college. I lost my virginity to this girl who um, I didn't want to have sex with because I was clearly gay. Uh, but she was my best friend. And we were doing a lot of, like, I, what I thought was platonic activity. Like she kept wanting to come over to my dorm room and hang out on my bed. But I was like, uh, uh, no, let's, um, let's, let's do a treasure hunt. And <laughs> <everybody went> to-
1: <laughs> oh, that old chestnut. Yeah, well, you're I would- When you're like, you quickly draw up a treasure map and you're like, let's start <laughs> digging.
0: <laughs> I've had many, many copies of treasure maps ready to go. <laughs> i was like what is that a treasure hunt what's that called um where you hunt for things scavenger hunt A oh, scavenger hunt scavenger hunt okay. so like one clue would lead to another thing and like it was elaborate it would take a lot of time she would get exhausted and eventually not be horny and um <laughs> i just got like i don't know i had I, I i was running out of scavenger hunts and one day i had no hunts to be had and she was like come on like let's hook up like and when she started getting all like you know, close. And I, I, it was the moment where I was like, okay, I guess I'm losing my virginity at this moment. And then as a last ditch effort, I had a VHS copy of The Little Mermaid. And I, so I popped that into my little combo VHS TV, little thing in the dorm room. And I was like, well, let's watch The Little Mermaid. And she was like, oh, it's my favorite movie. And we started watching. And by the time she was singing Part of Your World, she was like taking my pants off and it was happening. And yeah, so I'm traumatized by Little Mermaid and um, all things Disney now. (laughs) And sex was like so, it was so like comical, like truly cartoonish. It was like, is it in? Oh, it's in! I'm done! (laughs) Sorry!
1: I like to imagine that it's all it all happens while you hear Ursula say it's singing poor unfortunate souls. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> the fact that you had a VHS copy of Little Mermaid did not tip this girl off that maybe you weren't interested in her.
0: Yeah, I had two VHS tapes, tapes. It was Little Mermaid and Britney Spears' eight, um Vegas show.
1: So the first time you had sex could have gone very differently with to a to a Britney soundtrack. <laughs> you would have heard songs like you better work bitch (laughs) yeah
0: i think i would have actually lasted longer
1: well peter thanks for coming on the show
0: thank you for having me this was
1: very fun yeah do you have any things you're currently working on that you're excited about
0: Yeah, I have a um, podcast, like you mentioned, called Ajuma Show. It's me and another queer Korean comic from Chicago, one of my best friends, Unji Kim. We just scream about things, culture, Korean stuff. Check it out.
1: Fantastic. Well, thanks again for being on, and thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost, Almost Famous.